We all tend to have apps, don't we? If you have a phone, or especially a smartphone, I have seen some that aren't so smart, uh, but these are the top apps. There's a website uh, that is, I think, called apptrend.com, and it'll show the top apps that are out there. I don't know why you'd want to know that unless you're a developer, uh, but just maybe out of curiosity, you could see uh, just what the top five apps are. I think they do top 20 uh, apps at any given time. But look at these. These are current. Uh, Angry Birds Space is the uh, top app. How many of y'all have Angry Birds? Okay. Well, those hands went up fast. I wanted to, like, shoot something at you. Um, draw something, uh, flick home run, clear vision, which is the number one sniper game. That's assuring, isn't it? Uh, and then also WhatsApp Messenger. These are the top five, or at least they were yesterday when I did a search of this. And it, and it kind of makes you wonder, do we really need these? Uh, do we really need Angry Birds? I know you all say yes. Uh, but do we really need these apps for our lives? Are they good applications for us to help us live our lives better, <clears throat> to help us have smarter phones and more productive uh, work lives and, and all of that? Well, obviously, they're more for playing games than anything else. Uh, I'm not sure how much we need these applications. Our gospel text today tells us about an application of something that was brand new to the disciples, something that they had never experienced before, <clears throat> something they had heard Jesus allude to several times, but they really didn't understand what it was all about. There were two or three different religious groups within their own Jewish religion. And some of the people, uh, one of the groups, believed strongly in the resurrection. The Pharisees, and these are the ones Jesus continued to combat with verbally about things that related to the law and about living one's life. Uh, now Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. It just wasn't a practical reality for them. They dismissed the whole idea of it. But Jesus kept talking about resurrection. He kept talking about eternal life or tear this down and it will be rebuilt. And He kept giving these allusions and references to His resurrection. And so now it has taken place. They have seen Jesus crucified upon the cross and they've, some of them have seen the risen Christ. Others have heard Mary and Peter and John and the others talk about how they encountered the risen Jesus so all of this is going on. We're still in that Easter story. And here in this particular passage, as you just heard uh, Michelle read, this presence of Christ coming into the room. And Luke describes it, you know, while they were talking about this, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And I love this painting because it, it gives that idea. And I think Jesus was probably smiling. He had to have been smiling. Uh, they always paint him with a frown on his face, but he's got the two fingers, the kind of the whole two natures of Christ. He is fully God, fully human, and the artist here is trying to depict that. But you see the uh, confusion on their faces and almost a sense of fear. Jesus has just walked in the room. Jesus is dead. We saw him crucified on the cross. We've never seen anyone come back to life. This is just crazy. And here comes Jesus walking into the room. And I love the depiction of the scars on his feet. And he is looking at the disciples with this love and, and with this desire to reveal himself to them. And so he walks in and he enters the room. 
That would have been an incredible feeling to be there as Jesus comes in. But not only does He enter, He says peace. And this word peace for them means completion. Uh, you are complete and may you enjoy the completion that God has for you. And, and how great a completion it was as resurrection entered into their midst. Jesus brings His peace. They were scared and as we heard in the, in the Gospel, He says, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? And I'm sure Peter wanted to say, um, what, you know, why are we frightened? We've seen everything that's taken place. And of course, we get the idea Peter was not necessarily there in that room. But this had to be the emotions that were in their lives, uh, in their hearts, as their hearts were beating so quickly as Jesus entered into the room. But then there's also this experience that they could have with Jesus through sight and touch. We remember Thomas and uh, how Thomas question Jesus. We refer to him as doubting Thomas. And Jesus says, Thomas, why don't you put your hands in my hands? Why don't you touch the scars and put your hand in my side? And why don't you experience the reality of my resurrection? This is something very similar to that. Jesus walks in. He says, look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And then Jesus picks up fish. I don't know if it was catfish, tilapia. I don't know what kind of fish it was. Broiled fish. He picks up a piece of fish and begins to eat the fish as a way to show them he is not a hologram or an apparition. He is not a ghost. He is flesh and bones. He is a resurrected body. And He wants them to see that. He wants them to experience the reality of that. And that is an application, one of the applications that Jesus has for them. Uh, you've probably heard this story. Uh, one sleepy Sunday afternoon, uh, this comes from a guy named Phil Calloway, as he was uh, writing in a, in a book. He says, one sleepy Sunday afternoon when my son was five years old, we drove past a cemetery uh, together. Noticing a large pile of dirt beside a newly excavated grave, he pointed and he said, look, Dad, one got out. <laughs> He says, I laughed, but now every time I pass a graveyard, I'm reminded of the one who got out. The experience of resurrection. And what Jesus wanted them to understand is that He got out. And because He got out, they get out. And I wonder as we think about the resurrection and what it means for our lives, and maybe you've thought about it on Easter and you've moved on and you're back to the humdrum, the, the realities and the problems and the challenges of your life, maybe you have completely forgotten that Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe you have not fully experienced that in your own life. Maybe you haven't gotten out yet. Or maybe the grave is open all around you and you just haven't stepped outside of it. You have not done anything to experience the reality of resurrection right here in your life. And this is what He calls us to do. And, and part of that reality is that He enters into our room as well. He enter, enters into the room uh, where you work tomorrow, the place that you so dread you may not want to go back to tomorrow. Jesus will be there. He enters into that space with you. He enters into the room of your home. He comes in to dine with you. He comes in to console you. He comes in to uh, convict you at times. He comes in to give you His presence. When was the last time you really experienced the presence of Christ entering into your room, entering into your life? He wants to enter into the space of our relationships. 
He wants to enter into our neighborhoods. He wants to enter into every square inch of our lives. And nothing keeps Him from doing that. We put up barriers. We lock doors. And they lock doors to keep out all of the religious leaders who were after them as well as the Roman uh, officials who were trying to uh, put away this whole idea of resurrection. Jesus, as we learn from other Gospels as well, He just enters the room. And that's what He does in our lives as well. It doesn't matter what you've done, what sin is in your life, or how badly you feel about yourself. He just enters in. And as He does so, He says, peace. Peace. Peace be with you. And that word Jesus used all the time. I think about when He was out on the Sea of Galilee. And as He's out there, this great storm blows up and uh, the disciples are just in trauma. They see the waves coming and they think, this is it. We're going to drown out here at sea. And what does Jesus say? Peace. Be still. And all of a sudden, those waves just stop and it is serene. And that's what Jesus does in our lives. We can experience the peace of Christ as He enters into our situations and our circumstances. He says, peace. And we need to receive it. It doesn't look like here that they're quite getting that whole idea of peace yet. They're frightened. And Jesus uses His word of peace to go against their fright. But also this whole idea of sight and touch. You say, well, that's great that they could do that. They could see the wounds that were in the side of Jesus and in His feet and His hands. I can't do that. But I I think we really can, can't we? I mean, in a spiritual sense, we can see Jesus. And one day we'll be able to touch Jesus. One day we will pass from this world, from these bodies and from our circumstances, and we will pass into the presence of Christ. I believe that when we take our last breath here, we take our very first breath in the presence of Jesus. And so we get to experience that one day. But I I, want to make sure that you know you don't have to wait until that day to experience resurrection. The sight and the touch and the reality of His resurrection. So one application would be that we experience it, but we also can understand it. We can understand what resurrection is all about. Jesus explained to His disciples what resurrection was, as as if they couldn't understand it just by seeing that He was now alive. He, He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, it must be fulfilled. Jesus took all of the the dots that were out there and He began to connect them together. They knew who Moses was. They knew who Elijah was. And they had heard Psalms all of their lives and, and heard these beautiful words of Scripture. Jesus said, this is what it all means. He tied it all together. And then, uh, as an even greater description, in verse 45, He says, then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand what this was all about. They allowed Jesus to do that. It reminds me of the story of the two guys that are walking to Emmaus right after the crucifixion. And they're on their way and they're headed to get out of town. Uh, get far, as far away from Jerusalem as they can. And so they're heading out. And this stranger comes along and is walking beside them. And they're talking about what all of this must have meant. And Jesus of course, is not recognized by them, and He begins to explain to them the Scriptures. Jesus is continually explaining what this is all about, opening up minds that they could understand. 
I'm not so sure that we understand, even with all of our knowledge and even with all of our, our uh, hindsight about what the cross and what the resurrection is all about. Uh, there was an article in Wired magazine um, not too long ago, and it was uh, about movies and how they are, uh, if they're about hell, um, they are much more popular than if they're about heaven. Sorry about that picture of Will Ferrell there. But uh, in the issue of Wired magazine, there was this quote. It says, why Hollywood always makes going to heaven look so unappealing. Have you noticed that? Uh, try thinking of a really good movie that doesn't play the afterlife for laughs. There isn't one. The only cinematic visions of the afterlife that are worth anything are the ones that depict damnation. As long as your hero goes to hell, the audience stays engaged. Move the story upstairs, though, and God help you. Hell has proven useful to filmmakers looking for spectacle or a great villain, but heaven, which would seem like a great source of the kind of happy ending that Hollywood loves, simply lacks drama. There's a reason uh, the words uh, that are here, and they lived happily ever after appear right after the credits. Happily ever after is boring. And that's kind of how we think about resurrection as well. We tend to think that it's something that I'll do for the rest of eternity. I've got my life to live here. If I do this and this and this, I'll truly experience life. And what we learn is time after time, those things don't fulfill us. Whether it's an empty relationship or whether it's a drug or some other addiction in our life, we try to bring those things in so that we could really experience the stuff of life. And all that resurrection is for later, but it is for the here and now. And it is not boring. And Jesus proves that it is not boring. The early church shows that. And ever since then, we can look and see that a life truly lived for Christ is exciting. And it is truly eternal life. I wonder in your life, do you understand the resurrection or do you have this false notion about what it really means? Jesus, again, makes it really clear for us. And we can understand it by the same tools that they had. We can read Scripture. We can hear it and allow Jesus to interpret that for us. God has given us the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the words of God so that we can understand and we can learn how to apply that into our lives. But also that we would have open minds. Would you say in your life right now that you have an open mind? Uh, sometimes we are better at that than others. And uh, I wrote a, a blog post this past week. I was just kind of thinking about this particular phrase in the Scripture about open minds. And I think we do allow Jesus to open up our minds and we, we get an understanding of Him and what He's all about, but then we close our minds. It's kind of like that picture of Jesus that we probably had on our children's Bibles, you know, the, the picture of Jesus with the lamb around His neck and He's got blonde, wavy hair and He's smiling and, you know, everything is great. We tend to think of Jesus that way and we don't allow Him to continue to open our minds. We, we stay right there at a child's understanding of who Jesus is. By the way, that's not a bad thing, according to Jesus. But we need to grow, and we need to develop our understanding. And that comes through allowing Him to help us understand what this is all about. Well, the final application here, I'm, I'm sure you could probably find more, but it's that they were to share the resurrection. And that's what uh, Jesus is saying to them. If you look back here at this uh, Scripture, it was the last thing that was mentioned here as it was read. 
You are witnesses of these things. Jesus looked at this group and with the fear on their faces and and their lack of understanding and their desire to, to really get to know Jesus more, but still a fear about what that would mean for their lives. Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things. And he would commission them to go not only into Jerusalem, but all around the world to talk about the resurrection, to talk about the fact that Jesus was not dead, but alive. And this is what we're called to do as well. How do we do that? How do we witness the resurrection? There's a a great quote I, I ran across this week from a guy named Robert Munger. And he says, Evangelism is the spontaneous overflow of a glad and free heart in Jesus Christ. So many times we get all confused or we get all worried about evangelism and we get this picture in our minds of that crazy guy on TV uh, that, you know, as we're flipping through the channels who uh, is doing all kinds of strange things on TV and, um, you know, throwing the Holy Spirit at people or someone who has their hair painted uh, bright pink and we think, okay, that's an evangelist and I don't really want to be like that. Do you all watch that channel? I didn't get any emotion on that. Uh, and, and we think that's what evangelism is all about. Or we might think in a positive way. We think about Billy Graham or someone who is proclaiming the gospel in, in, in a stadium somewhere. And we think, well, that's not who I am either. But we're all called to be witnesses. And that is evangelism. It's sharing the good news. And, and that is a spontaneous overflow of a heart, a, a glad and a free heart in Jesus Christ. So it's something that ought to just overflow from our lives. And so we are to share this resurrection story with other people. Well, who are the people that you're to share it with? I mean, where do you go to find people to talk about this with? Well, the people that are in your home. That's the place to start. To talk to your children, to talk to your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your grandparents. To be sure that you are living the resurrection life in your home. Because if you're just talking about it and you're not showing it, then they're not going to get it. And it's much easier to talk about it than to show it, isn't it? And it is a real challenge to do that within your family system, in your home, because everyone already knows who you are and they know how you are. But what about at work? Who are the people that you can spontaneously show the resurrection to when you go back to work tomorrow? There are people that God has placed all around you at your job who need to see resurrection. That's why you're there. That's why God has changed your life so that you could change their lives. And so we need to to begin right there. Home and work. What about your relationships? What about when you get to school tomorrow? If you're a student. The people who annoy you, maybe that sit around you, uh, the ones that, that stand out most to you are probably the ones that God has called you to talk to the most. For you to be the presence of Christ to them. To love them with the love of Christ. Well, how are we to do all of this? Well, one way that we have that makes it real easy here, we've got a block party coming up on Saturday that you heard about. That is a great way to go out into the community and to share with people about what the resurrection is all about. If they say, why are you doing this party? Why do you have this trailer with a jump jump house in it and cotton candy machine, snow cone machine? Why, Why do you do all of this? Who are you people? Well, we are people who believe in Jesus. We are people who believe in eternal life and resurrection that we can live that right here on earth and we can share that with people. Maybe children as they're 
getting on or off of the jump house. Or maybe as we're setting up tables, we get to talk to neighbors and people who are around and share with them what this is all about. You can do it on a Thursday night when you come up here for the Highland Blessing Dinner and you volunteer your time. There are people who will walk in those doors who need a good word. They need some good news and you can share with them about Jesus. I, I was able to talk with someone this past week who, who came to the meal and, and she came to me and we had a, a, a private conversation just outside of that dinner about uh, something that was going on in her life and, and just what Jesus is really all about. We can have those conversations if we're focused in on what this resurrection is all about. There are countless ways. You can do it with Meals on Wheels. You can do it tutoring a child after school in the Lighthouse program. Um, you can do it over at the Adult Daycare Center as you love on someone who feels very lonely at home and is looking to make friends and be able to have some support uh, during the day. You, you could do this anywhere in this community. God has given us all kinds of opportunities. And this is our calling. I heard a story um, this past week. It, it, uh, it's from Bill White. And he says, During a Saturday afternoon uh, community service day that their church was having, he says, I was walking down a narrow side street in the city of Compton, California, heading towards one of the work sites sponsored by a local church. It sounds like our church, doesn't it? It was towards the end of the work day, and dozens of yellow-shirted church volunteers, maybe 50 in all, were streaming out of the site getting ready to head off to lunch after finishing a complete makeover of a local house. He says, I was six or eight houses away when I passed a married couple working in their own yard. I paused to compliment the woman on her roses, and she asked me what we were doing down the street. I replied that we represented a band of churches united in our desire to serve the city. And then we continued chatting about the radical neighborhood transformation that she had witnessed by our simple acts of goodness. During my conversation with this woman, her husband had been weed whacking, I haven't heard that word in a while, had been weed whacking the other side of the front yard. But when he saw my yellow volunteer shirt, he turned off his weed whacker, set it down, and started walking straight towards me and his wife. I'll never forget his words. After looking into my eyes, he nodded approvingly towards the renovated house down the street, and then he said, I love your heart. Where can I get a heart like yours? Flabbergasted, I simply said, we got our hearts from Jesus, and He would be glad to give you one like His too. Before I had to head off, we had a great conversation about the unparalleled gospel of Jesus Christ and His power to change hearts, homes, neighborhoods, and cities. This resurrection is the greatest app we could ever have in our lives. It is the application of God's power of eternal life in our hearts, in the here and now, as well as in the hereafter. Let us give thanks to God for His wonderful gift.